refreshing moments, uh, baptisms and dedications. They're some of my favorite. Um, we have a piece of paper somewhere that we used to hand out, but it's too long now. It's like a short book of uh, all those that have been dedicated and baptized through the years. It's a, it's a beautiful document. Um, refreshing moment. Uh, powerful moment. Uh, they're, they're both starting points. You think about that. They're both starting points. Pow- and there are powerful parallels. You think about a dedication is a welcoming of a, of a child, of a baby, into the, into the family of faith. And then, and then the baptism is a, is a welcoming of that person into the faith, right? First, they're invited into the family of faith, and then they are welcomed into the faith itself. In the, in the dedication, on the one hand, you have uh, an anticipation of salvation, this is what we hope for our children. And then in the baptism, you see the celebration of that very moment of salvation. In the dedication, you see a natural start, a, a, a physical start. In, in the baptism, you see a supernatural start. You see a, a spiritual start. It, it's two births. It's a physical birth and a and a spiritual birth. It's a, it's a starting point. They're both starting points. Jesus talked about these two. He talked about them particularly with a, a Pharisee, a, a Sadducee, a, a ruler of uh, the, the religious spaces, uh, a scholar, if you will. And he was soft-hearted, which was rare. <laughs> this is what Jesus said. And he, and he was it's just talking to Nicodemus. You might be familiar with the story. And he says, listen Truly, truly, I, I say to you, listen, listen, Nicodemus, Jesus is saying, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. It was, it was almost new phraseology. Nicodemus doesn't even understand, and he says, what are you saying? You can't possibly mean that people should enter back into their mom and, and be reborn. And Jesus says, no, you can't, you can't. That's not what we're talking about. Listen, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water which would mean natural birth, and the Spirit. And that, and that is what we just witnessed. Two kinds of births, and, and Jesus really spoke of one, which I'll explain this. The one is, is, is threatened by failure, the natural birth. The spiritual birth is refreshed and saved through forgiveness. Here's what I mean. And this is where, if you're studying the red letter study with us, this is where that one picks up in this idea of forgiveness. Think about what happens between the natural birth and the spiritual birth. What happens from day one until that day when forgiveness is received? Parents, and if you've been a parent, you feel this tension right? It's a mixed bag. You can deny it, but if we're sober about our thinking, we know our kids are not only going to face trouble, they're going to cause it. They're not only going to be sinned against, they're going to sin. We don't like to think about when they're one or two years old. Like us, as they grow, as you grew, you're challenged, deeply challenged, by natural inclinations. We call that flesh. 
And these inclinations lead us away from God. It causes us to, to trust the wrong voices, follow the wrong passions, to do what's, to do what's best for me and not what's best for others. As our natural, fleshly, sin-rooted, that's, that's what we're compelled those ways. You, you, you're aware of that. You're clearly, surely aware of that. But if our prayers and our hopes are answered for these young children, they will find a measure of humility and be convicted about that sin to recognize through some God-given measure of humility that they've lived outside or in opposition to God's plan. This is, this is what we hope happens from day one until day baptism. That through the failures of our natural inclinations, that one day we have the humility to realize we've lived apart from God, away from God, if not in opposition to God. When those little children get to that point in their life, they might even decide to try to please God, to try to turn their life around or to realign their life toward God, to, to, to earn their way back into his good graces. This, this, would be a, this would be a normal step. Suddenly I recognize I'm out of step with God. Let me get in step with God the best I can. Let me get back into his good graces. Let me, let me try to control these natural impulses and inclinations. Let me will myself to live better. And that's better than not, <laughs> you know? If our kids decide to live a good moral life, who's going to complain about that? But even in the midst of that, trying to do our very best, if we remain humble, which is hard, particularly if you're doing well at that, like if you're real good at living a moral life, at least as far as anybody else can know, it's hard to stay humble. But if in that we're humble, we realize I'm still fighting against something that wants to do stuff alternative to God. I'm not really changed. I'm doing better, but my heart still is disinclined toward God. I have to keep pushing that down. Uh, maybe one of the most famous of all the founding fathers in Protestantism, John Calvin, uh, wrote about it this way. He said, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. <laughs> what he meant was, we are monumentally good at creating objects and passions of pursuit other than God. We can just crank them out something to be super excited about, something to count on, something to live for, something to turn to. 
And the humble person, the humble child, the humble student, the humble young adult, the humble adult, the humble grandparent, maybe at some point will realize by the grace of God, I can't change my heart and will concede the point. If God should grant us the humility and the grace, and you know, I'm not talking about the babies anymore, right? You're not even thinking about them anymore. It's us. It's all of us. It's, it's, every, it's every one of us from age one minute to 100 years. Realizing that the holiness of God is too pure and too bright for us to coexist with him. And that there seems to be nothing I can do to deeply change my heart and to make it as good as God requires it to be. At some point, by the grace of God, we realize we need some kind of amnesty. Some kind of authoritative pardon some exemption, some absolution. Because we've discovered it's beyond us to repair. It's not too different from the paralytic. We, we looked at this in Mark chapter 2 weeks and weeks ago. Many of you know this story. Jesus showed up at Capernaum. He was teaching in a home, and it was packed, just packed. And some friends... Um, uh, one of whom was a paralytic, understood that this Jesus was healing people. And so they, they scooped him up. He was completely unable to help himself. It's the parallel, right? He, he knows it. And they, and they carry him, and they can't even get through the crowd. So they go up on the roof. They dig a hole through the roof and drop him down at Jesus' feet. This is what it says. They could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof and they lowered the man down. And he, like many of us, looks to Jesus in hopes of getting, well, what? What does he want? Right? What is on his mind when, when Jesus says the next words? He says he saw their faith and he said to the paralyzed man, Son, what does he want to hear? Walk. <laughs> Get up. Be normal like everyone else. That's what son, Jesus turns to him. He doesn't tell him to get out. He turns to him and son, son, he's, there's some affection there. He's, he's coming. He's going to give it to me. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay. <clears throat> Anything else? I'm slaying here. I got, I, I don't know. I can't walk. I can't do any. Dug a hole, the whole thing. You've been watching, Jesus? This is a pretty mind-blowing thing going on right here. 
And what's actually happening is Jesus is exposing to this young man, his friends, and this entire crowd what he's primarily concerned about. He's exposing to this crowd the very reason he came and was sent to be with us on this earth. The very reason that God became flesh. Jesus is nailing it right here. It's it's the core of his message, his gospel, his good news. Jesus is saying, look, you have failed to walk with me. It's not just about the fact that you cannot walk. You, you do fail to walk right now, but the deeper issue is that you haven't walked with me. You've turned your back on God. You have pursued other passions. You have pridefully given yourself credit for your moral capacities. And he says, but I forgive you. It's more than amnesty, though. I don't know if you know. Technically, amnesty is a, is a pardon. It's, a, it's, it's rooted in the word, um, well, amnesia. It's a forgetting of the sin, a forgetting of the, the legal bind that you're in. It's a, it's a pardoning. It's a, it's a, it's a, a moving past. Uh, and that's not a, precisely what Jesus has done. If you look at his whole life and what he is anticipating is the actual substitution as the one who received the penalty for the sin. It's not really amnesty. It is a forgiveness that is both rooted in love and mercy, but also in justice. What is deserved is, is given, but it does pass over us because it was administered to Jesus. He, he suffered. It is that very man who looks at this young man, who uh, looks at every human and says to them, I am forgiving you, I am taking the penalty for what you deserve. All you need to do is receive it. This is the very moment we hope and long for for our children and our children's children and our children's children's children, that they would be in the one group surrounded by the faithful family of God but that they would eventually turn to Jesus and be in the other group, confessing their sin and accepting the forgiveness of God. So where where are you? You thought I forgot. I, I said, if you want to get baptized, you can do that. And you can. You can walk up there right now and get baptized. I got baptized when I was in college in a three-piece suit. I wasn't ready for it at all. <laughs> Who among you has realized the unresolvable <clears throat> shortcomings, not, of, not only of our self-oriented practices, but of our wandering, perpetually wandering hearts? 
Who among you has realized you can't change who you are at the core? It requires the forgiveness of God. If that's you, Jesus would instruct you to show him, to confess it with your mouth, what you believe in your heart, and show the world. Anyone? You stand, you walk right over there. I will get in with you right now. I'll take my mic pack off. <laughs> Many of you have taken this step. It's a privilege to be walking on this path with you. Those of you that understand what you've needed and you've accepted what God offers. The question then is, uh, well, then what? What then? Is that it? Now that you're forgiven and forever in the grip of Jesus, what then? Well, it's kind of more of the same. Listen to this. If you have never read this verse, this is another mind blower. Jesus said, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. I can deal with that. But he says, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Now that just seems totally backwards to me. Forgive so that you might be forgiven. What's going on here? Well, there are, there are a lot of ways to share the good news. There are a lot of ways to, to try to help people understand what the gospel is. There's a lot of ways to try to help people understand who God is and what Jesus is about. But the most powerful is to forgive as you have been forgiven. There may be no better way to mess with somebody else's heart in a good way to show someone unconditional love, to, to glorify God, than to forgive. And the least that they deserve it, the less they deserve your forgiveness, the better. The more you have to suffer to forgive, the better the more unjust the situation, the better. The more deserving of punishment and consequences, the better, the better. The more that you need to experience forgiveness, the better to forgive. The more twisted up you are in guilt, the more burdened you are by shame, the more you feel unforgiven, the better to forgive. What's going on here when he says, forgive so that I can forgive you, forgive and then forgive so that I can forgive you, is a divine transaction it's a cycle of life. 
It's a spiritual breathing. I breathe out forgiveness. And I breathe it in again. It's like a snorkel. What do you do with a snorkel? You breathe out. No, you breathe in. You do both. You got to do, do both. This is our hope, not only for our children. This is the hope of the world. That every human would understand at some point and embrace the forgiveness that they so deeply need and start on a journey to be part of the humanity that God intended us to be. Done a lot of celebrating today. (laughs) And there is no greater reason for celebration than merciful forgiveness of God. Forgiveness rocks. And it's been prepared for you, and you only need to receive it. Now, aside from my shameless transition, we have some rocks for you. (laughs) We want you to pick one up on your way out. Because there's somebody that that rock needs to be thrown at. They deserve it. You realize, that's, God understands that. You deserved it. People deserve it. They've, they've done wrong in the world. They've done wrong to you. But we remember that God's forgiveness actually isn't amnesty. It's deeper than that. It's not just a forgetting. It's not just a passing over. It's a substitutionary thing. And the same is true for us. To forgive is to suffer. To forgive is to to set aside your right to bring justice. It's the way Jesus put it. Somebody slaps you on the cheek. He said, what did he say? You slap them back. No. You have the right to slap them back. It's not fair. It's out of balance. You can, you can settle the score or you can turn the other cheek. And we have given up on, in many ways, the power of God's forgiveness. We, we, we have begun to think that this, it's wrong to turn the other cheek. But what we don't understand is by being vulnerable, being vulnerable to get what you already got once is a moment that that person might not get from anywhere else. When when you offer vulnerability, there is no better way to cause a person to analyze their own heart. If you fight back, they're going to keep looking at you. When you're vulnerable, when you forgive without condition, they are stuck with themselves and they might find their way to the forgiveness of God. So pick up a rock. The first thing you got to do is remember that that rock is rightly destined for your own head. And Jesus jumped in front of it. 
And if you want to receive that forgiveness, it's yours. Write yes on that rock and throw it into a lake or into a field that you can never find it because you'll never, ever be able to go back on that. Once you say yes to Jesus, he holds you in his grip. Maybe you need to take that rock this week, write the word yes to it, and receive what is yours. Maybe you need to write a name on that rock, someone that needs your forgiveness. Maybe they don't even want it, but they need it. And you put it in your pocket, and then you go and you forgive. And once you've forgiven, irrespective of how they react, you throw that rock away because it's done. And the third thing I'd like you to think about is accepting the fullness of God's forgiveness. There's a lot of people, maybe you're one of them, that have received the forgiveness of God in part. Because we, we have this way of measuring our own sin and to what degree we think God can forgive it. And it stops at some point, but it doesn't go beyond that. And there are things in your life that you think, God, even God can't forgive. But he can, and he does. He forgives it all. And maybe you need to write that thing on that rock and once and for all accept the forgiveness of God. Forgiveness is our greatest celebration because we receive it unconditionally and we have the opportunity to breathe and be in part of a divine transaction with others uh, to forgive them. Can I give you 30 seconds to just process that? To think about that? To imagine what you're going to do with that rock when you walk out? Please take one when you go. Let me give you just a minute I'm so proud of you, church. I I so am. It's a joy and a privilege to be a part of this community. It's a joy to bring new children into the community. It's a joy to bring new people into the faith. (laughs) What a thrill. We have so much to celebrate.